0: Good morning, all sure. So glad to be here with you today. I want to invite you, if you're with us in person, to stand and join us as we worship together. And first of all, just being reminded that we are all children of God, that we are all welcomed and invited into his presence. But that through that, we are also invited to completely lay down our lives before him and just invite his Holy Spirit to move within each of us. So let's sing out our praises this morning and just invite God to do what he wants to hear today.
1: our church oh, your, your spirit, spirit.
0: Church, I don't know about you, but when I sing a song like this, I'm just encouraged because I am reminded that it is something as simple as just speaking out the name of Jesus. And I don't know where you are today. You might be dealing with something very heavy, something very difficult. Maybe you experienced the death of a loved one or you've been praying for months and months and months for somebody to get better. And you're just not seeing results or maybe you're finding yourself in a place of financial difficulty and you don't know if you're going to pay your bills this month. I don't know what you're going through, but let's just be honest with ourselves. We all have things that we're handling and dealing with in our lives, in our daily routines, but the truth of the matter is that there is power in the name of Jesus, that at the very mention of his name, every demon must tremble. Everything that is working against his kingdom has to go away. And so you may have difficulty singing out this song today. You you may be wondering why you're even here. But my encouragement to you is that you are here for a reason, that the Spirit of God himself wants to meet with you here today. And so we're going to go back. We're going to sing this bridge together. And as we do this, my encouragement to you would be just let the words that we sing out sink into the very depth of your soul and allow the Spirit of God to meet with you in this place allow him to reassure you not only of who you are, a beloved child of the King, but that you are also a person who has been given the power to trample on the enemy, to defeat the enemy. He has already been defeated. Amen? So let's sing this together and just invite the Spirit of God to do what he wants to in this place. Sing this out, church. Oh, I see you taking ground and I see you press ahead. Your power is dangerous to the enemy's
1: camp. You still do miracles and you will do what you said. For you're
0: the same God now as you've always been. Come on, his spirit.
1: Your spirit breaking out, Your kingdom moving in. Your
0: give the spirit of God some praise. He deserves our highest praise.
2: that's our prayer this morning, that you would pour your spirit out. God, that you would give us a fresh feeling, a fresh reminder of your love for us, that we'd be reminded that there is power in the name of Jesus, that he moves, that he hears us, and that you want to move in our lives. One of the best ways that we do that is we just quiet ourselves. We can hear his still, small voice. We speak to him and we listen to him. So we're going to take time to do that even now. We're just going to simply pray. And one of the traditions that we have here at All Shores is we simply invite you, if you came this morning you're carrying a need, whether it's big or small, it's just simply to have a seat. It's a way of just kind of humbling before yourself before God, saying, God, I need you to move in this situation. It might be your situation. It might be a friend or a family member. But you might just say, God, I need the power of Jesus in this situation. So let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we too thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the fresh wind that you blow on us, that you remind us of your love. And we thank you for the truth of that. There is power in the name of Jesus. So we ask for that power this morning, Lord, over each person here, God, in every situation, whether it's someone that has a healing that needs to take place, whether it's a relationship that needs to be restored, whether it's a financial situation where they need provision, or just where you need to bring hope God, to the hopelessness. God, to those who are wandering and far from you, God, remind them that you, there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from your love, God, that you would draw us and our loved ones to you today. That we believe in the power of your name, Jesus, and we trust you in those situations. God, and we pray not just for our church, but we think of the organizations that we partner with, and this morning we pray for Mosaic, and we pray for all the counselors, all those who just bring hope, in difficult situations, God, that they would hear your voice, that they would know that you are pleased with them and you would use them in mighty and powerful ways in our community. God, we pray for our friends serving around the world and we think of Brent Ben and Diane Veering, Lord, and with the work that they're doing in Colombia, God, that you would continue to pour your spirit out there, that they would see harvest in the areas that they are trying to reach, that you would protect their family, God, and there would be abundance in the ministry there. Father, we know that you are moving in the world, that you are bringing hope, that you are bringing unity. God, we just want to honor you with all that we say and do and live this week. And we pray these things in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and be seated. Hey, I just want to welcome you to All Shore. So glad that you are here this morning, that you are spending your Sunday morning with us. You know, if you're joining us online, so glad that you are connecting with us this morning. We're glad that you're here in that way as well. And we would love to connect with you as a church family. And if you're kind of the digital person, loves technology, in front of you there is a QR code that you can open up your camera and click on that for our connection card. If you're online, there is a link to do that. But we would love to connect with you. You can put your prayer request in there. You can update your information or just simply ask questions about how to move forward in your faith and taking steps in ministry. And we really do want to connect with you that way. You know, if you are like me and maybe a little less technological, you know, you can go to the connection point. You can fill out an actual paper, physical connection card and talk to a person and we would love to connect with you that way as well. We just love to help you take steps in your faith and we really do want to connect that way. We're so glad that you're here this morning as our church, and I'd love for you uh, just to continue in worshiping this morning. You know, we've worshiped in song. We're going to worship as we hear God's word. We worship when we serve each other, and we also worship through giving. You know, you guys are such a generous church, and we serve such a generous God. And even this year, just through our benevolence ministry, we've already, you know, helped twice as many people as we helped last year just because the need in our community and the world is so great. And so we are just so grateful that you support our Benevolence Fund, that you support our Global Fund and our General Fund so we can continue to make a difference in our community and around the world and partner with what God is doing. So if you came prepared to give, we just truly want you to do that as an act of worship. There's ways behind me that you can give online. There are giving boxes by the doors on your way out. And we just thank you for what a generous people you are. Now, if you uh, turn your attention to the screen behind me, find out more information about what's happening here at All Shores.
3: Welcome those joining us online. All of you here at our Spring Lake campus as well. We're in the final week of a series we've titled "Give or Take." So we're in the kind of the summary of that and the conclusion. And uh, if you if you missed earlier portions of the series, we want to invite you just to go back uh, and watch those. Before we open the scriptures, we always kind of give quiet a space that we uh, invite you to pray. That whatever your posture is among us, whether you're here and you're a committed follower of Jesus, whether you're saying, I'm growing, I'm stagnant, I'm struggling, whether you're searching and you're going, I don't even know what I think about this, or I'm in a season of doubt or question, we're glad you're here. And so what we simply want to invite is that you would pray in the quiet. You would be honest with God about where you are and what you need today and invite him to speak to you, that we believe it's about revelation, not about information or even persuasion, that somehow in the midst of opening the scriptures, God might whisper to you. That comes in thoughts, in kind of even in our own pictures. Sometimes it comes in our emotions. God ministers and speaks. So you pray in the quiet, and then I will pray for us together. Lord, we, we wait for you. And even in the midst of talking, of sharing, of opening scriptures, I ask that you'd speak. I ask you would speak to each person where, how, with what they need from you. I pray you'd encourage, you'd comfort, you'd convict, you'd challenge, you'd stir. We simply ask you to make ourselves more aware of your presence and your power in our lives. And we would become more like you and following you more deeply. Lord, I pray anything I have to say that's not from you, it will fall to the ground. It will be forgotten. But I do pray that anything that's from you, Lord, that your spirit would breathe life into us, and you would lead us, and you would guide us. I join with the psalmist, praying the words I speak and the way we respond in our hearts and our actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, Amen. amen. So I am... I'm sure most of you are aware there was a Powerball lottery. There have been recently, but particularly it was the highest one, and it, actually there was a winner, though we don't know who it is yet. I am just curious how many of you thought, if I won that, imagine what I would do for God when I won that. Have you ever had that view, like, God, if you just entrust me with stuff, can you imagine all the good I could do? And we are in a series that we've called Give or Take. We've been looking at our lives, are we givers or takers, and now we're actually going into this realm of our finances and our resources. And and I wanna say this before we even go any further, that what we're gonna talk about, we're gonna encourage and challenge, there's, there's not a thing that you have to do that here. So if you're one of those people that go, I don't trust it, the church wants things and asks for things, then do it somewhere else. But do not let yourself not be challenged by what I think God wants to say to us today. And so I wanna take you back, my... Uh, my, my name the, I'm named after a man named Peter Marshall. And I found this out uh, as I was getting older. And the only Peter Marshall I knew at the time was the guy who hosted Hollywood Squares. And I thought, well, that's weird. I'm named after a dude who does hosting for Hollywood Squares. I found out there was another Peter Marshall who was some kind of chaplain and was involved at a pretty high level. There's a book written about him. There was a movie that was made before I was born. Uh, it was still a talkie, but it was before I was born. But uh, Kevin Harney tells a story of Peter Marshall's life and one in particular where a man came to him and people would seek him for his advice as a pastor. And this man who came to him said, listen, when I made $20,000 and I was learning about tithing, I, would, I gave two and it was good. Now I make 500,000 and I cannot afford to give 50. It's just too much. Peter, without batting an I said, you know what, this is a real problem. I can understand it. Let's pray. And he began to pray boldly, Lord, You see, my friend here, he is in a dilemma. He does not know what to do and how to do it. So, Lord, would you just reduce his income to where he can tithe again so he can live in obedience to you? Isn't that crazy? I thought that was so funny. And yet, in some ways, it's so profound. Now, the reason I even begin with that is, as I said, we we began the series and we looked at Jesus himself, that Jesus, God in the flesh coming, came to give. His greatest expression of love was to sacrifice and give his life. That's what we looked at in week one. In week two, we looked at how God takes the kingdom and he turns it upside down and he says, when you're a leader, you're called to serve. You are a slave to God and a servant of others. It flips the script. You're a giver, not a taker. We looked in week three at the most difficult probably expression of that, which is loving your enemies and how God Himself, God Himself, says that we're like Him when we love those who are wicked and ungrateful. He says that's who God is. And it messed us up there. And we moved into resources in the last three weeks, and that's what this is today, because one of the things we know, and we I think we know this intuitively, but we know it in scripture is that how we handle our money our resources really is kind of a thermometer or a temperature gauge for how we live in other words when we look at that we discover how and who we are and so that kind of opened us up to that big understanding last week we said what can we learn from the poor what does god say and we it was rich i hope you would go back again if you didn't today we're going to look at what god communicates and through paul and through the early church leaders says to the church about this and so before we do it i just want you to answer this question kind of in your own mind how do i treat money i want you to think about the role it plays in your life what you value about it whether you're you have to get to a certain point where there's enough in fact i would probably assume this most of us feel like we're not quite rich Most of us would go, rich is above me, and some of us may say it's even farther above me, but if someone says, like, there's a commandment about the rich, you go, well, that's those rich people. They have two homes. I only have one and a boat, but they have two, or I only have this, and they have more. In fact, if you ask most people, what they need to be happy and good is just a little bit more than we currently have. Isn't that crazy? So you're going to just ask the question, how do I treat money? And the part we're going to get at most significantly is, what kind of legacy do I want to build with it? In other words, how am I utilizing, looking at my resources? And all of this is in the context of give or take. What does God say to us? What does Scripture teach for us in this setting? Now we're only going to look at a few verses, which is basically a couple different sentences, in a letter that Paul writes. Paul is one of our earliest leaders. He's the one who's had all this Major missionary life That's the church has just grown all through Asia Minor from it. And he has a friend of his, Timothy, who's pastoring in some of these areas. And he writes him a letter, like to the pastor, going, listen, I need you to do these things to help people. And we're going to look at a section where he talks to him and tells him what to tell people who have more, who are wealthy, who have some. Now, I want to be clear again, because you're going to be tempted to go, I'm not rich. And I want you to hear it partly Because your wealth factor is probably higher than you think. (laughs) If you make $40,000 a year, you're in the top 12% of the world. Of the world. You go up to 100, and you're much more to the top percent of all. I mean, it's dramatic. And even if you don't think you're rich, just consider we are in the richest time in history with the most advantages to ourselves, right? Things that make us rich. We are in the richest country in the world, and probably even in the area, one of the richer areas of that country, So what I want you to do is hear it as a command to you and to me. In those areas, what do we want to learn of what it means to give out of our abundance, not just out of our limited resources? So Paul writes, he command those who are rich in this world, in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so Uncertain. In case you don't know, that's, he says command, right? So it's like if Paul's writing to me as a pastor, he's telling me, Hey, Pete, you command the people who have wealth, who have money, who have any kind of richness, to not be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain. Now, we want to unpack what that looks like and what that means and why even he makes this comment. Why is it hard on that? And people get really fearful, like, Oh, my goodness, I have to live like a pauper which is not what I'm saying, but I'm also not saying that, just so you know. Because both can be true, and both can be things we need to be challenged on. So let's just look for a minute at what it means to be arrogant. (laughs) And and let me just say this one thing about about wealth, too, about whether you're rich or not. Um, 70% of us probably live paycheck to paycheck, meaning if anything happens, we're a week or two away from serious issues. So let's not kid ourselves that if we had more, we'd be okay. Let's... Realize that often we, if we get more, we spend more, we build more, we do more. And so, part of what you already should be asking is, what kind of legacy do I want to leave with what I have? So let's just ponder for a minute. Arrogance. Do do any of you ever look at people who have more and think more highly of them for that? I, I can. I'm not proud of it. I don't want to. But somehow we look at somebody, and if they have more, we think they've done more and they are more. In other words, we put them higher up. And when that happens to us, the same is true, actually. And this isn't just a statement or wondering. This has been research. It's a crazy thing for me. So UCAL and Irvine particularly, there are several several professors that have worked to see what's the effect of money do on relationships. So they started uh, by taking the game Monopoly. Any, any of you play the game Monopoly? Played it before? The game that never ends? Did you know the longest game on record went on for 70 days? What? Did they have a catheter? Did they have some other kind of weird thing? Like, they get a, I mean, that's just weird and creepy. I hope they took breaks. I don't know how to register. They even have a record for the longest game underwater. Why? I don't know. But what they did was they took, and I don't know, if, there's a lot of things with this game that are, are crazy interesting to me that, even though I really hate the game because it just seems like it never ends. It, it's wild. Do you know that the, uh, it's in 47 languages? You know the things that are used for, the, for moving around the board, those little, do you ever wonder why? Why a shoe and a thimble? And well, the reason is the man who first invented it wanted people just to use household objects, but they wanted to have something there. So his niece had a charm bracelet, which was the impetus for what they put there. So basically, some little kid's charm bracelet decided what the tokens would be for a one-point-some-odd-billion-dollar business that's been there. You're welcome. It's funny. And then, uh, I mean, it's crazy to me. In in case you're not playing it enough recently, November 19th, I guess, is annual Monopoly Day, so have at it. Anyway, what they did was they took this game, and they'd have two people play it, and they found a way to rig it so one of them would win randomly. They didn't decide who. they would come up. But they began to see a pattern emerge when someone was winning, and that pattern was not pleasant. Now, are any of you not pleasant when you play games? (laughs) I am not pleasant. I have friends, people on staff, they they call me by the game I'm playing. They say, oh, it's Catan Pete, it's Euchre Pete, which are just different iterations of how obnoxious and annoying I am. I, I, I tend towards different things. Monopoly Pete, I'm sure, would be the same. But indeed, that's what's discovered in this game is as a person gets more resource, they become more hostile and harsh and expectant. They hear comments like, oh, I'm going to take the whole board. You're going down. You will not have anything. I have everything. I am untouchable. In other words, in playing the game, no matter who played, the more you had, the more inclined you were to think more of yourself and less of the other person. Now, you may go, well, that's a game I don't... Would that really be affected in life? I mean, and most of you people who win, you're not wealthy anyway. You don't know what it's like to manage it. That would be true of me. Um, So they also did these tests in other areas. For example, they, uh, they would find different settings they could put people in the midst of, and they found it true in every setting. For example, if someone had more money, they are more likely when they get to a crosswalk not to stop. Isn't that weird? When they have more money, they're more likely to cheat in a game. So you might want to have your cameras up when you have your wealthy friends over. Or if you are, put them away. They're less likely to give to strangers. And the list just goes on. Even they put out a jar of candy that says for kids only. And guess what? The more money you have, the more you grab the jar. Isn't that weird? It goes on and on. And here's what I want you to get with a correlation. And this is, not, this is not any kind of scandal towards people who have more. It's a recognition. And this is why I think Paul says it. The magnet in wealth pulls us towards arrogance and pulls us towards ourselves and pulls us to becoming takers. What they found very simply was people who had more become lower on compassion and empathy, meaning they begin to look at those around them who don't and think it's their fault and their problem. If they were like me, they wouldn't. And they tend to be higher on entitlement. It's owed to me. And in their own interests. Now, th- th- I want to say this to us because this is why I think Paul says to Timothy, hey, command them who are rich, don't be arrogant. And don't put your hope in wealth. It's uncertain. Don't put your hope there. That's what I want to key in today is where your hope is. That's why I asked, what do you hope to accomplish? It's interesting. If you just consider with me, let's just pretend you did get $10 million. And I want you to consider how you would try to use it to solve your own problems even. If you provided all that your kids wanted, would that make their life better? If you ensured they didn't have to work or struggle through things, would that make it better? Could you provide enough that would protect us from illness or difficulty or struggle? And even if it did, would it make life better? It's a weird thing how we put our hope and wealth You know, I I look back, and I can't even tell you how many funerals I've done over 20-some years here. And I've seen Bentleys pull up to a funeral, you know, to a graveside. I've seen broken-down cars pull up. I've seen people have to get rides to them. And nothing of those things show us a better or worse life. It's a weird thing how we put our hope in wealth. You know, he says, he says don't put it in the, in the things that are uncertain. And I, I think we tend to hear that as, well, you know, the market's not always certain or this investment isn't certain. Or, but that, I don't think that's what he means at all. I don't think he's saying it's uncertain whether it returns. I think he's saying what you want from it, you can't get. It's uncertain because it doesn't give what you hope it gives. Earlier in this letter, it's even just a few sentences earlier, Paul talks about people who want wealth, who work for wealth, who desire wealth. Like that's what I need. I will work and work and somehow that will my life, make my life better. And he says this, don't fall into the temptation or trap. He said, even you basically, you have harmful desires. Their desires the more you have, the more you want to have, the more you hold for yourself or for your life that can lead to ruin and destruction. He even goes as far to say, many have wandered from their very faith and then the final part that's so grieving it says it's pierced them, their own lives, with griefs. In, in other words, putting your hope in having more and thinking you are more and protecting yourself from difficulty that way is a destructive hope. So the crazy part is that when we do it because we want it, it doesn't give what we think it will. And what does it do? It can cause our hands to go tighter and tighter. Because the more we have, the more tempted we will think we are more and need more. It's a challenge, isn't it? I mean, it's a challenge for me. I don't say this as if I have conquered it. I, I, do you, can you feel the battle inside you? Oh, I want to be this way, but oh. Have you ever given and then you're like, I got buyer's remorse just from giving? Oh, I gave. Oh, know I can't. I lost. And then we couch in things like, did I get return on my investment? Did it give what I wanted it to? And it goes back to legacy. What are you putting your hope in? Are you putting it in the wealth itself? itself? Do you somehow think that if you have this, it will fix and help your life? There is a a part of Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy is this part when Israel is in their exodus and they're going to head to the land of milk and honey when they're going to have much. And we're actually going to go through this whole passage uh, during our season of prayer in January. But just an excerpt from it. It's, It's a caution God gives to Moses to give to the people of Israel, and he says it this way. Hey, when you get to your promised land and you begin to build your houses and you begin to have all this stuff, you be really careful that you don't start thinking, I did this. It was mine. I made it happen. I'm the source of it. Look at what I have. He says, when you do, you basically you're gonna be a mess and you're gonna forget who I am and you're gonna believe that you're, the, you're it and others aren't. And very simply, what it is, is you move from the slavery of Egypt to the slavery of your own resources. That's why I think Paul's saying this to Timothy and us: hey, don't put your hope. Even if you have a lot, don't put your hope there. Don't be arrogant. Don't somehow think more is better and I'm better and those with less are worse. Don't put your hope in wealth and it is not just uncertain. It will not give what you think it will. In fact, at the root, if you want to say what's going to help me be a giver or a taker, which is going to determine it, it's going to be what you put your hope in. Because if you put your hope in what you amass and that somehow you think you're more or you have more or need more, your hand will go like this. When you put it where we need to, and that's what we're going to look at, it It goes like this. This is where I love it. Paul flips it. He goes, listen, don't do this. But put your hope, tell them to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I want to be clear this doesn't mean he's going to just pour out the wagon and you get everything you want. It's not like, well, you trust God and then you get what you want. It's a means to an end. It's fascinating because in scripture, when it talks about everything we want and for our enjoyment, other scriptures say things like God causes the rain to fall and the crops to grow. And he provides for us and we have joy in our homes. In other words, when we trust him for provision and do the part we have to do, God wants to provide for us. That means whether we have enough or have not enough or too much, he's there and he's the one that we look at as the source. In the Proverbs, it says this very simply, God, don't give me too little that I'm constantly screaming and struggle and kind of have disdain. Don't give me too much that I somehow think I'm more than I am. That's where we get the word daily bread, by the way. It says, just give me my daily bread. Give me enough to provide, but not too much to make me think more of myself and not too little to make me despairing. That prayer freak you out or make you happy? Freaks me out. I I know it would make me happy. I know it will make me happy. But I like to be independent and make sure I'm okay. I mean, do you hear the dependence putting your hope in God? It's a huge, wonderful challenge. And yet, I think in our minds we know, we know it's something better. Put my hope in wealth, close my hand. Put my hope in God, open my hand. That's what he's saying. And I, I want to be clear, too. You know, he doesn't say this drudgingly. What's he say? It's for our what? Enjoyment. Did you did you realize that God wants you to have joy and enjoyment with the things he provides? I think sometimes we think it's either this, like I should feel horrible or... I basically should just enjoy everything and it becomes our lives. Like there's this beautiful tension that God loves to provide for you. You know, we often, uh, we often reflect on our own parents and sometimes we can reflect on the things that are broken, the things that we carry into adulthood and carry into life, which we need to do. I, even as a parent, I go, I want my kids to understand and not carry those things. But we often miss the things that they do that are wonderful. And, and in my home... Uh, my dad loved to give to us. He loved to find ways to give. And if you told him, hey, I want this, he'd, he'd ask, always ask, what's the best one? What's the best one? Because he always wanted to get you the best one. And, uh, and I still remember. So one of the things I got in, in high school, I got a recording studio. It's a four-track recording studio. Now, those are on computers all the time. But in 1981, when I was a sophomore, a four-track recording studio was not something you give to a 16-year-old. I'm not sure it was the wisest thing my father ever did, but... You know what it did? It, I had so much joy with that thing. Like, that's where I first learned to play guitar. That's where I learned to improvise. That's where I learned to write. That's where I learned, and really even it kind of blended into this new love of worshiping and those pieces. But I also just love to have fun. Like, I think back, and I go, you know, right after Jane and I got married, uh, I decided to do a, you know how everybody has their own little uh, voicemails on their back when you had, the, you had a tape one? So I took my 4-track, and I made a little thing for the voice when you called. And, and there's music behind it, so there's music playing. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody would say hello, and you say hello back. Hello? And they just wait a little bit, and they'll, they're thinking it's just noisy. Oh, hello? Hello? And I do that three or four times on the tape. And then I say, oh, oh, I can't hear you. The music's jamming. You know what? I'm going to go jam with Jane. And I basically played about a two-minute guitar solo on the voicemail. You had to get that far through to even leave a message which, by the way, brought me great joy. (laughs) But I kind of think of that and go, you know, God gives us things for our enjoyment. God wants us to have fun. This is not an indictment against having joy. It's an indictment about putting your hope in things that you think make you better and have more and protect you. It's a statement that God does want to bring you things for joy. But when it becomes who you are, When it becomes something that makes you tighter and makes you hold your hand, you're in the wrong place of where your hope is. I just love the thought of how much God loves you and wants to provide for you. Letting go is not about that. It's saying there's something better and someone better. Now, it'd be one thing just to tell you you should do this. I love it. Paul goes on and tells you how. He goes, listen, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In case you didn't know, the first one was a command too. So my job is to tell you, hey, you've got resources? Listen, don't put your hope in that. You've got resources? Don't think you're better than other people for that. you've got resources, would you put your hope in God, the God who richly provides for you and trust him? And you want to know how you'll pull away from the magnet that will draw you to hold your fist and want more and be more and have more? You want to know how to combat that? This is it. I'm not asking you. I'm telling you. You need to do good. You need to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. And you may even ask, what's a good deed? I love it. It's so fun when you're in Scripture to find things where they connect. And one of the things that connect is good deeds. There are other sections where Paul even gives image of people who do it. And one of them in particular says, you want to know what good deeds are? It's it's bringing up your kids. Did you know your day-to-day life as a parent is a life of giving? Or at least it can be. (laughs) Sometimes it's just a life of hoping you sleep, and no one throws up, and no one fights. But the very act of being a parent is an act of saying, I want to give and pour into your life. I never remember a time when any of our kids turned and said, hey, thanks for changing that diaper. It was really irritating me right now. Thanks for the bottle today. Thanks for the food here. Now, as they got older, they actually did begin to thank. But you go, you serve, and you give that way. You know, it's heedless hospitality. The very thing of inviting people in, I want to protect my privacy in my life. And he says, no, hospitality, because God's a hospitable God. God's the one who reaches out and loves people. He says, bring him in. You want to know what a good deed is? He actually goes on to say washing people's feet, washing other people who are servants of the Lord. Now imagine this. Everything in our world says you're better if you have more. Everything in our world says you're less if you don't. Someone who has more washes the feet of someone who has less. Do you realize how that switches this? Like it puts us in a place where we see life differently. And in case you don't know, the kingdom is different. I love it in James. He says this. All of you who are in lowly, struggling positions, you should rejoice in your high position, circumstances. Rejoice in your high position. Those of you who have much should live in humility of your low position. Does that not whack at everything you believe and think in our world, everything we're taught? I mean, James is saying very simply, those who have less are esteemed more in the kingdom of God. Those who have more should take notice of their humble position. And when by the way you wash people's feet, you're acting on the very way the kingdom is. Tell me, would that not help your arrogance? Okay, don't tell me if that would help your arrogance or not. You know, I just sometimes I like I have to can I calm you down so I can say a few more things? I mean, that's it's pro, it's powerful to me the things he speaks of this way. I mean, just the idea that when you wash someone's feet, when you care for your kids, when you show hospitality, and then he finally says it's helping those in trouble and is devoting themselves to the, those kinds of good deeds. I, I was thinking about this with, most of us are pretty cynical, and I'm this way too. When you see somebody on the street or you hear about a need, you kind of go, well, is that a real need? Are they, are they kind of just playing a game with me? Or am I really going to help them? Like we have 10 things we can ask, and, and I'm not saying they're not valid things. But have you noticed all the reasons we come up with not to give and not to help people in need? Like you start to wonder, is it really them or is it just a nice way to go, eh, no thanks. Do we not come up with all the things we think of not to do? He's saying be generous in sharing with others. What that means is you actually initiate and want to do it. You're not asking whether it's even a good investment. And, and in case you don't realize this is rooted in the nature of Jesus and the gospel, let me tell you, tell you this way. You know, we all are sinners, in case you don't know. And what that means is we're broken. That means that you and I would rather be God than be his. And we try to take that place. We try to make life about us and live our own ways. And it's destructive. We do destructive things to ourselves. We do destructive things to others. And it's pretty much unchangeable. So Jesus dying for us, is that a good investment or a bad investment? It's a bad investment, isn't it? Come on. Do I look like a good investment? If I need to be your poster child, not so much. That's what I love. Jesus goes, listen, when you were my enemy, when you didn't even want to be a part of me, I gave to you my very life to give you freedom. Did he go, Nope. I'm going to wait. I'm only giving it to people who've made some steps to work it out, who are willing to do this. Not what he said. So why would we be different with people that are in need physically? Don't we want to be like Jesus physically, like he is spiritually?
2: Yes, we do, Pete.
3: Yes, we do, Pete. I'm just going to start talking for you guys. No problem. I can do monologue, dialogue, trilogue, whatever I need to. I like to have you participate, but if it's just me, I do this alone all the time. My wife doesn't even ask who I'm talking to anymore. It's too funny. I want you to see where this leads. I love how he finishes this. Like it it kind of ignited and inspired me when I read it this week. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. It's all about legacy. So that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Oftentimes when we talk about giving and helping and letting go of resource. We do it as a means of God will bless us back. In other words, I give so I can take or I can get more. That is not what this is saying. That's not what this means, I don't think. And I think that's a temptation. Oh, if I can give now. If I, I'll pay now so I can play later. This is about finding life that is truly life. I, I want to give you this one picture. And then I want to give a little time that we're going to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to lead and move whatever he wants to do in each of our lives. Kevin Miller is a pastor, and he's an author as well. And he tells the story of his own father. Uh, he grew up in a home where his dad deeply, deeply valued wealth and worked very hard to make it. And his dad told him two stories growing up that he repeated over and over again to give him two very clear messages about why, what he should do with wealth, why he should value it, and what it can do for you. The first was a story he told him about a couple that went to Harvard and intended to give a donation and asked to meet with the president there. They got in with the president. They began to talk. The president noticed they were from the West, was kind of, didn't know them, was disinterested by it, and somewhat curt with them. And the wife turned to her husband and said, Leland, let's go. I think our money could be used elsewhere. Well, that couple's name were the Stanfords. And they would well, move out West and begin Stanford University. Now, I don't know what you take from that story. Maybe you'd take that Be careful who you talk to because you could miss out on something. The way Kevin's dad taught it to him was, listen, son, amass money because when you have money, people with power can't tell you what to do. In other words, when you have more, you can even dominate and do what you want. That was one message. Second message he got was another story about a pastor who was invited to go to the Rockefeller mansion. This family or this pastor as he was going, it was a winding road even back in there. The road itself was beautiful, tree lines cut, this beautiful canopy. As he's making his way back, he's just enamored with the very drive. And by the time he gets up there, he is shocked at the amount of wealth and power. And he says, if God had this much money, imagine what he could have done. And sadly, the pastor left saying that somehow money gives more power than God Money is greater than God. Those are the two messages Kevin grew up with. Now, this continued in his dad's life and in their family life. And his dad, at the, around the age of 60, I love the way Kevin describes it. He made a tactical error and he went to church with Kevin and his own wife, his mom, Kevin's mom. So they're in church together. And this guy has not been in church probably much at all, if ever. And Kevin can describe it other than somehow... Through the pastor or the priest, there was a connection with this man and the pastor and what God was doing, and he literally went to the altar and gave his life to Jesus. Now, what follows, though, is what's crazy. So the, it was a little thing Kevin said. My dad told me, he didn't share much about money or anything, but he told me, hey, I've, I've begun to tithe, and I'm finding it such an adventure. It's the only thing Kevin hears. Doesn't hear anything else. So his dad gets very ill 10 years later and ends up um, passing away a few days after the initial illness. They're at, the family is now at this funeral home. His dad with his very low end sport jacket and his, he says it's a land's end tie, which I don't even remember they had those. It probably was one of, just even the description's like, that's just sad. But he has this thing, and it's a statement of how the money didn't matter like it used to. But what really impacted Kevin was a woman came up to him and she said, You don't know me, but um, I was in a place where I was being abused by my husband. I had no way out and I didn't know what to do. And no one else knows this, but your dad paid for me to go to junior college. I got a dental hygienist degree and I left. And I now have life. And she said, Your dad, uh, he was part of saving my life. Do you see the transformation? This is what I think Paul means when he says they take hold of the life that is life. See, I don't think God is having us give so that we get better things in heaven. I think God is teaching us to give because that's who he is. And we will be more like heaven. You know, I just wonder, could you take what you have now and begin to wonder if your hope was in God, who you might help in life, what might be transformed just so you know, I didn't cry last service. So I, I'm i actually taking this as, I think God's kind of stirring me. Either that or I'm just, my exposure to Dutch people is wearing off. I don't know. Amen. <laughs> 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 On last service, I said something about that. This really sweet woman said, I'm Dutch. I'm 100% Dutch. I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I love the Dutch. This is what happens when you cry and you don't know what else to do. See, I told you I talk to myself a lot. What do you think God might be saying to you? We've been in six weeks just asking her, are you a giver or a taker. What do you think is the magnetic pull of your life with money? What might God be saying? Would you let go? Would you instead be not putting your hope there, or let yourself become arrogant and thinking you're more by having more, thinking others are more because they do. Would you instead be rich in good deeds? Would you wash people, wash people, wash the feet of people, don't wash all of them, wash the feet of people that, you might even think somehow aren't deserving of it? Would you give in places that don't make sense, but you'll do it anyway? Would you serve and ask, what can I give and not what can I take in your life? Listen, I'm with you. There's a magnetic pull for me too. I am not impervious, immune, or even through it, but this is the road I wanna be on by the help of the Spirit, and it's the road I want us on. I am commanding you, To not put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain. To not be arrogant with what you have or what others do. But to put your hope in God, who richly will provide for your enjoyment. And guess what? I want you to be rich in good deeds, in generous ways of living, in serving and sharing with others. Because you know what? You and me, we want to have a life that is life now, don't we? Imagine what it would free us from. So I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes. And I'm asking the Spirit to kind of speak to you right now. Now, I'll tell you again, sometimes that's a thought. Like there's a clear thought that comes. And just say, Lord, if this is you, help me. Sometimes it's a picture. Sometimes it's an emotion. Sometimes it's a person in front of you. So it, it could be as simple even as a check. Like God's showing you something to do or give. I don't, I don't know what it is. But I'm going to ask now, Holy Spirit, would you lead Would you awaken all of us to what you want to do and say here? And maybe for some of you, it's just even starting with conviction. God, I put my hope here. I don't want to. Can you just confess it? And here's the beauty. When we confess, we don't fix it. We say, God, help me fix it. (laughs) God, help me have a new heart. Heart of stone for heart of flesh. Ask the spirit what he wants to say to you in your life to move you. Maybe you're not even united in your own home about how to handle this. Ask God to help lead you in what you can do and how you can live. And then for some of you here, you don't follow Jesus. Here's my invitation. Our God gives to us in our poverty that we could never get out of. And what he gives us is his very life to take on and pay for the sin we can't because we all have it. And then he says, listen, I'm going to make you the same way I am. I'm going to change your life. And here's the beauty. (laughs) I'm not going to change the world through power. I'm going to change it through sacrifice. I'm not going to change the world through having enough resource. I'm going to change it through supernatural resourcing, whether poor or rich. I'm going to turn the world upside down. Would you like to be part of it? And then finally, I want you to just picture your hands. And this is a decision you make. Can you let go? Can you say, God, the resources are yours, they're not mine? And just open your hands. God, I I give you what I have. I trust you, and I want my hope in you, not this. And then maybe just ask the Spirit, is there a way you want to seal this? You want me to do some action I'm to take that just helps me live in that? So Lord, I'm asking you would speak, you'd lead You'd breathe life. You'd soften us where we're hardened in our own arrogance. You'd change our ambitions. And I am asking God that what I have said today you would bring life to, that you they will hear you commanding them to be rich in good deeds and generosity and willing to share. And I pray as a group and individually we will lay hold of life that is true life, building a firm foundation now and forever pray this in the name and in the power of Jesus. Amen. You know, we always try to give space at the end as we worship and celebrate communion. It's a way to kind of linger a bit and let the spirit do whatever, however God wants to move. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're just going to sing a song. And oftentimes God can whisper and speak in the midst of even singing. So as we sing, just be aware. What do you want to say to me, God, as I worship and point to you? And then we'll celebrate communion in the midst of it too.
1: would rocks cry out to worship whose glory taught the stars to shine perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing but this joy is mine With a thousand hallelujahs we magnify. I'm
3: Few minutes here. We celebrate the Lord's Supper communion every time we come together. The church has done it for most of its history. We don't have a stipulation. You don't have to remember here. We want you to feel welcomed as you're pursuing Jesus. If you're not at that point, we don't want you either to feel obligated or like you need to participate. But communion is a centering act. We basically, by celebrating this, we are centering ourselves on who Jesus is and what he's done. That God came, he lived, he died, he rose again. And he will come back and he gives us the spirit now to begin this new life and to be part of his kind of world reclamation project through serving and sacrifice. You'll see in the top part is the bread and the lower part of your cups uh, uh, is the drink. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He gave thanks. He said, this is my body given for you. While you were my enemy, while you were in poverty, had no way. Out of making up for your own sin, I came and took care of it. Oh. I love you in your poverty, and my life, the Godhead, comes to give, not to take. Let's receive together. In the same way, Jesus took the cup, He said, It's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. And by the way, the cup was often called the cup of joy. <laughs> Here's a great thing, that we receive the joy of salvation. And I love it. Paul says, if, if we gain so much through his death, how much more do we gain through his resurrection? I mean, He doesn't just forgive us. He gives us new life to live differently. That's a joy I want to explore. Let's take of the cup together. And even as I pray that God will continue to lead you, I pray he would meet us as we conclude kind of and sing together as a closing to our time. Let's stand and sing again
1: praise to the lord to the to the
3: In just a minute, but uh, as we were singing in the seventy last service, too, right, you know, we sing about a, a thousand hallelujahs. When we sing and say hallelujah to God, that is a way we express with our words. When we are rich in good deeds and we are generous and willing to share, we say hallelujah by our actions. God says, "Worship me in word and in deed." You see, these come together. You are as much worshiping as you serve as you are worshiping as you sing. And they're meant to both happen. Not one, not just the other, but both. Like I want you to remember the moments when you sing as moments you're giving back to God what you've seen and done indeed, not just what you're saying. Maybe you place your hands up. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with the spirit. Oh, may he tenderize increasing your heart. May the magnetic pull not be towards hope and wealth, but hope in him. May you increasingly discover his enjoyment to provide for you and the joy of being like him and building a foundation for eternity of life that's life as you serve and help and share and give for his glory and your joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.